You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Buckle, 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 buckle. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Can We Talk? This is Eric, and I'm here with Anthony. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing good, Eric. How you doing? I'm um, good. Uh, just to everybody, you know, I got my Instagram, at Reluctant Movie Buff. Check out my review of Battle of the Sexes on We Are Critics. That at, that's at We Are Critics. Uh, substitute the X for the CS. And, yeah, we uh, we got an interesting topic today. It is. It is. Man, I'm going to tell you. So I, I was out of town in Alabama. And uh, Monday morning, I woke up kind of early. I woke up around like four thirty, five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Turned on the news, and I was like, "Man, here we go again. We got some more issues in this country dealing right. with with violence, uh, mass murders." All right. And so I was like, um, "I was just so glued to it, though. It was one of those things where it's like it ha- it's, it's a common occurrence. It happens so often in our, our, our country, but I feel like it's getting progressively worse." Um, and before I continue, we're here. Marquise joined us. How's it going, Marquise? Good, He's good. finally on time, man. He's on time. <laughs> we start we started a little bit uh, early, but you know we wanted to get into it and cover it. Um, yeah. But I was I was just saying how I was in Alabama Monday morning. I uh, woke up a little bit early and I looked at the news and and I was surprised and I was disheartened by what happened again in this country and the continuing issues that we face with violence, um, you know, mass murders, and. I was so just glued to television because I kept thinking, like, how do we how does it continue to get progressively like worse? Like the way that people are using, you know, guns and violence is almost like they're evolving. Um, and, and it was just like, man, we need to do something about this, this gun control. We need to sort of revisit how we our relationship to guns um, in this country. And that's um, yeah, that's part of why I suggested this idea, because the way I come from it. I think America has a complex relationship with gun violence. Mm. I feel like in reality, as we should, we condemn it. You have Columbine. You have this this event in Las Vegas. Yeah. You have Sandy Hook. All of the above. Whereas in entertainment, you got movies, TV shows, games, music, mm. where we, 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 we glorify it. Mm. It entertains us. So I think... That's a very dangerous juxtaposition. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but I'll let you throw out the first topic of where we should start. I would say let's start by examining the Second Amendment and our right to bear arms. Um, okay. You know, people, especially those diehard Americans, those, you know, especially Southerners who love their guns, you know, they have this relationship to where I want my guns and I want the government to tell me how I can use my guns. Um, but when you're dealing with situations where someone's taking a, I guess, a legal gun and it's just turned into an automatic weapon, which makes it illegal for, okay. uh, for a citizen to have, how do we control that? What are the barriers that we need to create for people to not have access to these weapons? And what type of, type of pushback or backlash will that cause for many Americans, millions of Americans who believe in that right to, to bear arms and that right to have you know, weapons as a citizen? <laughs> well, good afternoon. Uh, how's everybody doing uh, this week? Good, good. Uh, it, it's um, it's a complex uh, conversation. It's a complex uh, situation in which that we're dealing with. Uh, first and foremost, uh, my condolences and uh, thoughts and prayers uh, to the families of the fifty-eight uh, victims who Absolutely. lost their lives last week. Um, 
at the hands of, um, you know, as the president uh, said, uh, just an evil yeah. uh, man. Um, we always have these instances, and, and and I think I go back to when I was in high school and we had Columbine. Um, and, you know, of course, that always brings on the conversation of um, – Gun violence, and we, you know, we begin to look at gun violence even more always in tragedy, but we're kind of silent once we get over the tragedy. And the reality of it is, when you look at the data, um, if you think if you take some time to look at some of the Pew Research uh, data that happens, there are more uh, Republican um, affiliated people uh, who own guns. Yeah. Um, and they strongly believe in their right to bear arms. I mean, because of the Second Amendment. And um, even those, I mean, even black Americans, whoever owns a gun, I think, you know, they have the right under the Constitution to bear arms. Um, but who needs a semi-automatic rifle? What, what do you need that for? What do you need an automatic rifle for? What, what do you need that? What do you need that for? And. Um, there should be some kind of limit to it. I mean, they said that this guy had tons of guns, yeah. even in his hotel room. Why do you need that many guns? Mm. You know what? The, the NRA is definitely um, they're complicit in this because the NRA is giving millions of dollars to these, these politicians who are, again, creating our legislation and our laws. Mm-hmm. And them sort of funneling money, funneling money to them sort of allows the, the politicians to, to sort of push this issue underneath the rug. Um, yeah. Even after, in the aftermath of what happened on Sunday morning, um, the the Republicans were saying like, oh, we shouldn't talk about this right now. Like, we shouldn't give it time. Let's talk about it later. Mm-hmm. But the best time to deal with this is in the moment. Like you said, after the moment, people are going to continue with their lives, continue to, you know, to, to <laughs> move forward, uh, filling their lives with other things. So let's mm-hmm. talk about it while it's still fresh in our minds. Well, I believe one way I look at it is from a psychological view. And this is drawing from personal experience. This might be might add some levity to this, but when I was in high school and I'd be a little stressed, you know, whether it's, you know, some some dickhead in the hallway or, you mm-hmm. know, teachers getting on my nerves, I'd go home, pop in some Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. You know, I go around, you know, shoot at some homies on the block, do a drive through, mm-hmm. you know, grab a hooker. <laughs> Get a, get a chicken wing at the chicken shack and start the mission. Yeah. Now, to me, that was relieving stress. Mm-hmm. Now, when I think about that, that's kind of disturbing. Now, I'm talking mm-hmm. about San Andreas. Yeah. But just the fact that I played a game like that to relieve stress and that I didn't turn into, you know, a Stephen Paddock, the man that did this in Las Vegas, who mm-hmm. we still see no clear motive. Yeah. I think that's something worth talking about, how we – Something like this is so dumbed down and put in our brains to the point where it's just it's just as casual as the sun rising up. I would say, but look at other societies though, just to to you know have a counterpoint. Look at other countries who um just are influenced by the same television shows, the same video games, who don't have this level of violence. I mean, obviously other countries don't have the uh the second amendment where guns right. are a part of their culture. But you don't see them sort of influenced by this violence in the way that we are. I believe we fetishize it. We fetishize it in our entertainment. And when it seeps into reality, we start scratching our heads saying, wow, where did this come from? Mm. When the answer is clear in our faces. Me as a screenwriter, I started off writing stories about hitmen. I was inspired by Tarantino films, 
Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Kill Bill is my favorite movie of all time. It, it, it was so easy for me to write this stuff, but I've never popped a pistol in my life. I've never yeah. shot anyone. I don't know what it's like to take a life or have an occupation where you take a life, where you're not working for the government, and it's just immoral in general. So I, I think we have to sit and think about that for a while. Like we, we pay people in Hollywood to give this out as entertainment. We pay yeah. artists. We pay for their services of bringing gang violence to music, whether they are saying something or not. It still it still could be used as fetish. Mm. I mean, but I look at it as as violence as being something that's like an animalistic uh, trait. You know, I think people sort of use that to, to feed into that behavior. Um, and it's it's a, it's a, like you said, it's, it's a mental thing for us. It's a part of our I think it's part of our psyche as 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 humans. Um, but I also think that we become so desensitized to the violence that's happening, like. 20, 30 years ago, if someone said a person's going to kill 58 people, it would have been an uproar. Like people would have been just uh, just asking why, asking why and sort of changing policies based off of that. But now we're so used to it because every year there's going to be two or three or four or five incidents where someone is killed in a mass shooting. And so we become desensitized. And again, television, you know, the movies sort of does play into that because we, we see it on television all the time. Like we see. Movies like Kill Bill where people are just getting slaughtered <laughs> and, and right. cut up. So we're like, oh, you know, this— And it's exciting. It's, it's exciting, yeah. Pumps your adrenaline. And so in terms of that, how can we sort of—how how can we change our mindset to, to, to say, like, this isn't right. We need to do something. We need to create this actual real change because these are lies. Like, this could have been any one of us. If we were traveling to, to Las Vegas. Uh, we could have got caught up in that situation. And we treat it like, oh, you know, it, it didn't happen to me, so— you know, I could care. Well, not saying I could care less, but people are thinking like it's 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 far away from it's so removed from where I am at this place in time that I'm not really personally connecting to that situation. Well, um, I, I just think that's that's part of uh, the fabric of what we have come to as a country um, in terms of our thought process. Um, you know, we are a, a uh, my for no more mm-hmm. thought process you yeah. know um what what only directly affects me is what i care about i only care about my issues and you know i could care less about uh, less about um the issues of someone else and that someone else may be uh going through um you know i was watching something the other day where they talked about the nra first uh, really came on the scene with lyndon b johnson when he was president and uh, he spoke about gun violence and, and um, you know, how the NRA spoke against him. And it seems like, you know, our politicians, um, they, they have the, the back pockets of our politicians. Mm-hmm. And so when they are funding their campaigns and making um, – they, they are the ones who are really making all the decisions. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I – I'm really kind of torn in in the sense because I mean we they the Second Amendment does allow the right to bear arms, but um, I think that some of the uh, legislation that the uh, Democrats are asking for, um, I, I think it's sensible. You know, no, no no one is saying that you should not be able to own a gun, right? But more stringent uh, background checks. Why would you not want that in the wake of this stuff constantly happening? Happening, 
Another thing we need to pay close attention to and that we keep getting away from, and not, enough has not been done to really uh, help that group of people, which is the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the way, you know, Anthony may have came home from school and experienced a hard day and played Grand Theft Auto, the way that he internalized that in his mind is totally different from someone who is mentally ill, yeah. you know, um, because they don't may not understand the difference between make-believe and reality. You know, oftentimes we've had to tell, you know, uh, high school students when we're having conversations with them about violence, period, that life is not a game of Grand Theft Auto. That person that you killed, when you cut that game off and you cut it back on, they'll be back there tomorrow because it's a game. Yep. But this person and the human life, they will, won't be back again. And when you take a life, that's what you're doing. You're taking someone else's life. You're taking their dreams, their goals away from them. And, and I don't think we pay enough attention to that. I think we've gotten away from the um, the humanistic side of things. Yeah. You know, we're just so caught up in amendments and constitution and I should be able to do this and I should be able to do that. There are lives lost. There are 58 people who uh, have to be buried, 58 different funerals that have to happen uh, over the course of this coming week. Yeah. Why Why is it that that's not enough for you in the human sense yeah. to think maybe we should do something? You know, maybe maybe something should be done. Clearly, this guy has some type of mental issue, mm-hmm. you know, that went undiagnosed. Yeah. And I think the, the tragedy within this as well is that people are – and this is, again, on both sides of the political spectrum. People are sort of trying to find a motive. Like, they're trying to point, like, oh, is he— We need an answer. We need an answer. Was he a a, uh, a Trump supporter who just went wild? Or was he a Antifa, a, a far-left person who, you know, was, here's, here's was trying to make answer. a statement? Here's the answer. He had access to guns, and he bought them over over time. Yep. We shouldn't really— ca- like we we should at least investigate, but if we never really find out if his mind deteriorated over time or if this was just something just straight up rational in his mind with no explanation, okay, so be it. But here's the answer: he had access to guns, mm-hmm. bought them over years, over time. That's the answer. Yep. And I put it this way: if you need so much training, you got to take a test, you need so many hours just to get a driver's license. Why not the same thing with a gun? Like, why is it so easy to just walk up to the street or go to a gun show, you know, purchase a gun with no no license, no checks, anything? You just purchase a gun and you're good. You know, that's that's sort of um, I've always tried to figure out how. Like, how do we allow our society to do that? Like, this makes no sense. Well, America in itself, I'm not totally educated on this matter, but we deal in lead. Mm. War helps us financially. War helps us. It's a catch-22, but it helps us. We deal in lead, so I can understand how within our own borders, buying a gun is not that complicated. Yeah. I don't know, because I think it. If I understand people hunt. You know, people go hunting. They, they kill deer for game, for sport. Um, right. so, so, yes, in that sense, yes, you, you have the right to own a gun. Uh, you have the right to own a gun for personal protection. Um, but when is enough... You know, when is it too much? And I think that we're starting to hopefully have an, an open discussion. I know the NRA is l- l- budging a little bit. You know, they're looking at the, the bump stocks to go on the back of the, the back guns of the, to turn, yeah, yeah. To turn them to, to semi-automatics. Um, so they're looking at that. But that's only one small part of the problem. And I think it just it, it ultimately 
is driven by money, you know, driven by greed. You know, people are making so much money off the sale of guns. And anytime you're looking or favoring money over, as you said, the humanistic um, side of things, that's when these, these, these situations happen. I think, um, you know, furthermore, for me, um, you know, I always think, how does it affect the, the black community? Mm. Um, and just, um, uh, if not yesterday, day before yesterday, um, I think Chicago just uh, recorded their 500 and it was something, some number, I had to look it up, um, okay. homicide on the year. Um, of the year. Of the wow. year. Of the year. And um, you find yourself wondering, especially Illinois with so many gun laws uh, there, um, you find yourself wondering how, you know, how is it that so much violence can is going on? And I, that's why I said I think we have to begin to look at more of, you know, you can put laws in place, but the moral fiber of this country is in trouble. You know, we, we don't. We don't like you said earlier. We're so desensitized to to death now that you know it doesn't mean anything anymore. This stuff that's going on in Las Vegas, you know, um, will hurt for a while about it, mm-hmm. and then we'll just move on. I mean, I don't know one person who was not devastated with what happened at Sandy Hook in 2012. Right. Babies, Correct. babies, yeah. you know, and we were in a, working in a high school, and we're looking at older babies you know so and we're looking like man what if someone came in here and you know did something like that and our heart goes out you think about those families Mm -hmm. it happened just before christmas and so you know you think about the devastation of something like that but then you turn around and come february march like back to normal again into the next instance and so how 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 is it that we deal with this in such a manner in our own communities. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, and I worked at Central last year, Central High School last year, and a young man, uh, Julian, um, you know, who had a 4.0, mm-hmm. 4.0 student, mm-hmm. uh, left the school, going home on a regular day, mm-hmm. shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And that this is a story that's playing out in urban America, you know, all over this country. Mm-hmm. You know, gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. How do we teach our, our our kids? How do we teach them in a generation of uh, watching power, mm-hmm. uh, empire, um, Not many people get other shows, you know, on TV yeah. where gun violence is portrayed, where it's part of the culture? How do we help our kids understand the humanistic side of things, which is that person doesn't come back, you know? I don't think this is a complete answer to your question, but do you got do you all want to hear something surreal? Yeah. I remember I was in high school and this this is totally related. And summertime was about to come up. It was the end of the year. I believe it was maybe freshman year or sophomore year. And one of my classmates, a good friend of mine, saying, Man, I'm scared. I said, Why? You know, summertime, people die in the summer. Mm. I'm like, what are you saying? He's like, Well, you know, when it gets hot outside, people die. You know, people get shot up. And I thought about that, and we were just like, we were quiet for a full five seconds. Yeah. Then we went back to talking about, I don't know, what was hot back then, Dragon Ball Z or right. something. We just we just <clears throat> took the conversation back to a regular topic and just kind of just dropped it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of never forgot that moment because I 
kind of carried it with me because it's true. When the sun comes out, and this is just Detroit, Michigan, but when the sun comes out, you turn on the Channel 4 News, something popped off. Mm-hmm. It's easy It's true. I mean, as a, as a coach, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm working with young men on a regular basis. Uh, it has been my policy, you know, um, since I've been coaching in Detroit and mentoring in Detroit is that, you know, my, my, my kids have always, my young men have always, uh, I gave them stringent um, schedules even in the even in the summertime because it left it, it didn't leave time for idle time. Okay. And so um you know they were working they had summer jobs where they they work in the summer and then um when they got off from there they were either in the gym working on basketball skills or playing summer basketball, summer league basketball. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time to be I hate to say it in the hood, like right. we didn't want them in the hood, so right. so That's we smart. kept them busy. And by the time they got done with their day, mm-hmm. they just wanted to chill. You know, they they wanted to turn on a game system and yep. just chill. I don't really want to do anything, and so I hate to I look at it like this, but it kept them busy. But more importantly, it kept them alive. Mm. And I think, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of organization and people like you who are out there trying to get these young people off the streets and into something during the, the right. summers. But it's a, it's a multi-faceted approach you have to take. Like, you, you have to do stuff on a community level. You need to have statewide initiatives. You have to, need to have federal initiatives. And they have to be in, in the same accord. And I feel like even from the legislative level and from the level of the, the executive office, there needs to be more than just words. And, like, a lot of times people will point out, say, to say Chicago is an example of, of a city with strict gun laws that are still – that's still seeing a lot of deaths by guns. But I think that we need to sort of address this by saying who are our representatives in the state or in, in the, the, the government legislature who are uh, who, who represent the people in the community, who look like the people in the community, who can talk for the issues of the people in the community. And there's not a lot. I mean, when you think about it, it's only what maybe a handful of black people in state in, in uh, the, 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 the Congress who can make decisions. Um, and so there's just that lack of representation and that lack of initiative on this issue. Yeah, there's there's definitely not enough funding. And, and here's the issue, too, uh, and I'm pretty sure you've experienced this, Eric, is uh, there's a lot of politics oh, yeah. that play, it takes place. Um, you know, people who are in bed with each other, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, the, the it, it, I know a lot of other young men out here. Uh, who are doing great things yep. with uh, with with other young men and girls in the, in the community mm-hmm. uh, in Detroit? But there's not funding. There, yep. There's not easily funding available for them to help them with that. And until we begin to saturate these communities with funding and resources that will help mm-hmm. to stem the tide, we're going to continue to go through this this problem. Mm-hmm. And now it, it's a it's a greater American problem. But when you slice that pie down into different pieces, mm-hmm. we have a serious problem in the black community mm-hmm. in terms of gun violence. Right. And um, that's where, you know, my focus is. I mean, my focus is and part of my giving back and part of my passion is how do I help the next African-American young man understand that, there's a better way to settle your differences in life other than with a gun. Yeah. And um, 
we have a lot to do. But when when it when it looks at when we start to think about our representatives in Congress and in the Senate, whether it be state or federal, they don't have an African American in the forefront of their thinking. Nope. So until we get more people in position who think and act like us, you know, who can get in there and and push that agenda. We're going to continue to have these same problems over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's an issue with um you know, we just need to have more dialogue within the community as well. I remember CNN maybe a year ago did a series on Chicago and talked about the gun violence right. where they brought out, you know, the the young people, they brought out community members and leaders. To just discuss and talk about what's going on. Who did this? Uh, this was CNN. Yeah, this had to be CNN, close to a year, yeah, I believe. I remember watching it. Um, and they talked about the gun violence in Chicago. And I think that that was a great first step. But, you know, just having that one conversation, you know, naturally isn't going to solve anything. And here's the thing, Eric. And when you watch that, did you see where the principal of the school, mm. she was giving federal dollars to bring in different people, to bring in different resources. And that school can't be... Um, that school went from being a school where the kid was killed outside mm-hmm. the school yep. years ago to a thriving school. Yep. But then guess what happens? They put a cap on it and they say, well, after two or three years, uh, we're pulling all of that funding. Man. So what are they supposed to do then? <laughs> what is, what is How does that school survive back. then? It, it can't. It can't. And I think they're, they're just. So even with the results showing as. Things have thrived. They will still pull. The they funding. still pull the funding. You yeah. have you have um, That's even in away. Michigan what's called SIG. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's called a school improvement grant. Yeah. And so um, it, it is designed to if, if a school only so many schools can get it. Mm-hmm. But it's designed to as a program where they can hire um, people to come in in different positions that the regular school district wouldn't put on their budgets like a behavior interventionist mm-hmm. or um, uh, a mentoring program or a um, um, real life one-on-one program right. that that can come in and really work with the kids. So they come in and they're there for two years. They're paid through this, right. yeah. this program. And then all of a sudden they pull it. Mm. So the district isn't going to bring, can't, can't pay those people. So, right. You lose the program, and then all of a sudden, the culture in the school goes haywire. Yep. You know, and it goes back. You're taking one step forward, two steps back, because yep. ultimately, you know, these kids they need some type of stability. They need people in their lives who are there, you know, constantly trying to get them in the right direction. Um, and it goes down to really the the focus of, and I hate to put this, but the focus on administration. The administration's educational department makes it their main goal to sort of uh, focus on these issues that's where we're going to see that that money being opened up why do you hate to say that I mean well I don't hate to say that because I don't want to continue to to, I hate talking about the Trump hate having everything revert revert back to Trump but it it does in his cabinet picks and I think that um, Betsy DeVos doesn't really understand what's going on in these urban communities I think that her her thought is let's, let's give them vouchers to move to other schools or create uh, charter schools that help solve these issues. But um, nine times out of ten, these students are going to go to public schools over charter schools. We're going to have access to public schools over charter schools. So sort of taking funding away from those institutions and putting it elsewhere into things that aren't as important as, you know, creating these, these programs, these real-life programs, or, you know, these violence prevention programs, those are the solutions that we need. 
I, I agree to a certain extent with you, um, uh, Eric. You know, Bessie Duvall should have never been um, um, a secretary of education. At all. But at the same time, so, so shouldn't um, Arnie, Arnie Duncan either. <laughs> Uh, you know, he um, was in favor, and this is probably where I part ways with uh, President Obama uh, of the um, the uh, um, education, um, the new way of educating. I'm trying to remember the name was of it. it. Um, um, they were pushing that with the, the race to the top. The, uh, ra- was it race to the top? It, I can't think of the name of it at the moment, but it was something where they were they wanted all kids on a certain level. And they were doing a lot of testing, a lot oh, of strenuous yeah, yeah, testing, yeah. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know, like I like I've said before, gun violence is just one of many topics that we have to address in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we have to address it in school. We still think, and we still run school with our young people like it's an authoritarian, exactly uh, a dictatorship. You know, you come in, you sit down, but. Issues like this, getting them to see this is what impacts you. This mm-hmm. this is what the world that you're going into. This this uh, mass shooting that happened in Las Vegas could have been you. Okay. It could have been a group of you all going to see Gucci Mane or or or, or you know anybody yeah. you know perform, and you're just there having fun. What are your thoughts on it? And and we are not challenging our young people, especially in urban areas to think like that, to even think on that level. I was going to say the same thing. I think that we feel that, or the powers to be feel that our children aren't able or capable to think critically. And they can. They can have critical discussions when given that opportunity. But again, we're so so focused in our educational system on, all right, you need to sit down, shut up, and and absorb what I'm teaching you. Right. As opposed to saying, hey, let's have a discussion about What's going on in your life? Like, that should be the, the opening of every class, every homeroom. Right. Let's talk about what's going on. What are some things affecting you? So they can sort of let that, release that energy so that they can learn. There was um, a very, um, I didn't mean to cut you off. There was a very inspirational teacher I had in high school. Initially, we thought he was the homie. Initially, we thought he was a little corny, like, oh, there goes corny, uh, you know, <laughs> Mr. Connor. But Mr. Connor, at the end of the day, he was one of the few teachers at my high school that was really, like, looking out for us. He started off with, you know, Saying a corny rap reminiscent of Kanye, you know he, he he'd be he'd be amicable, but he'd be real at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like he'll say, "What y'all think about that new such and such album?" And then he'll drop to, "What do you think about the themes of what so and so brought right. up and how that connects to real it's life?" Powerful, yeah. And looking back on it, he he did a great job. You know, I, I'm sure he's still out here, Mr. Connor. You know, if you're listening, you know, you weren't corny. You just you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, whatever. But uh, I think that that ties into what you were saying. You have to start off with, well, how are you doing? You know, let me go beyond the teacher status and say, how are you doing as a student, mm-hmm. as, a, as a person in life? Then segue in. Yeah, I mean, there's an educational philosopher um, in South America, Pablo Freire, who believed that education currently is a banking, a banking model where the students are empty vault and are in a job as a teacher is to fill that vault with knowledge. But he said that the most – he said we need to stop thinking that way. We need to start thinking as education as being this the system where students bring their own knowledge to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, they have understandings of what's going on in this world that we may not. Right. You know, and especially relating to, to violence and issues in their, in their community. They're coming from perspective where we can't see that. We're, we're sort of removed from that, you know, being able to um, live our lives, mm-hmm. you know, outside of their, their environment. So um, having them sort of 
sort of impart their knowledge on us will allow us to grow together. Could you, could one of you tell me a story where a student or or a player school job about something that you didn't know about that you passed on in your future teachings or in your next class? So, so something we passed on. So, in terms of um, like working with a student and then passing on knowledge and parting them with, with knowledge, or the student passing on knowledge to us, the student passing knowledge to you and you passing on to someone else. There's been many instances, man. Like sitting down with kids. And my goal when I was working in education was to help these kids get into college, you know, helping sure that they graduate. Um, you know, sitting down and having conversations with them to, to really figure out, just getting to know them on a personal level and seeing that they're more than what we think. Like, times, at times we have this perspective as adults, like, oh, man, this just must be a bad kid. You know, this kid must be doing, you know, there's no good. Um, but when you actually sit down, hear what they're going through, it's instances where kids are, you know, taking care of their siblings. Like, they're the ones running the household. You know, they're the ones, they, they're working um, after school every day so they can pay these bills. And that shows you, like, all right, I need to see that this kid's problems don't stem from them being a bad kid, but they just have so much on their plate that when they get to school, the last thing they can focus on is education. Like, the last thing they want to do is focus on, on school. They got so many other things that they're dealing with. I remember Marquise told me something similar about students sleeping in class and they had a lot of responsibilities outside of school. Right. Yeah. That's the first thing I was thinking about. Um, when um, there's, you know, I think about kids, you know, I deal with them on a behavior. So I'm always correcting during behavior modification and things of that sort. And, you know, they, um, you, you always have this one kid, you know, who's who's sitting there and is constantly sleeping in class, constantly sleeping in class. And they put the kid out, you know, right. they put the kid out, they send the kid <clears throat> down to you. And, um, you know, as a dean, you sit there, you're asking, why are you constantly you know, getting kicked out of uh, out of class and uh, or falling asleep in class to mm-hmm. be kicked out of class. And the first thing you're thinking as an adult, again, is they're up on the phone all night, right. you know, um, or, you know, things that we did when we were in high school, oh, yeah. you know, playing video games or something of that sort. And then that kid turns to you and say, no, um, I have to get up throughout the night and change my little brother's diaper. Mm. Um, you know, I have to get up in the middle of the night and, and let my uncle in. You know, I gotta I gotta get up in the middle of the night and 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 and, and go to somebody else's house in order to be able to get to school in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you they're they aren't dealing with common reasons as to why they wouldn't would fall asleep in class. And then here's the other thing, they've been put in roles where they are um a parent yeah. at a young age in the home. And so at home, I'm telling everybody to shut up, sit down. I'm going to feed you in a minute. Go to bed. Go get in the bathtub. Go to bed. It's time for you to go to bed. Everybody got to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And then you want me to come to school and be a kid again. And and at 9, 10, 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. they don't know how to turn that on and off. Right. Getting back to our topic uh, about gun violence, though, so many of our uh, young people have been, and and, that, and that's the reason why I focus on the young people is because I really feel like if we're going to change this whole narrative and thought process about that, mm-hmm. they are the ones that we have to target because our parents are so set in their ways right. as the way they feel about that. I don't think it's going to change with them. Right. You know, I think that if we're going to change the narrative, I mean, even Martin Luther King, when I think back when they were in the civil rights movement, they were protesting and protesting and protesting, and then they were like, wait a minute. Mm. We aren't enough. 
It's yeah. not enough for us to protest. And they got the kids involved. Yep. You know, and so now the kids were out there protesting and going to jail. And it began to start to send shockwaves around the country and around the world that kids were, uh, they were sicking dogs and turning water hoses on little kids, you know, who were just protesting right. because they wanted to be able to walk through the front door of a restaurant and get mm-hmm. something to eat. So I think we have to use the same strategies now. We have to begin to start to talk to our young people because they are they will once at some point in time become adults mm-hmm. have their own families have to make their own decisions and we need to teach them and we need to get them back to an understanding of what using a gun can really do yeah. the consequences of it you know how it just doesn't it it, it affects our whole community mm-hmm. when someone dies that's someone who's gone from someone's family. The person who killed him is gone from society because they're locked away forever. So that's dreams that are gone. Mm-hmm. That's finances that are gone. That's a father that is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things leave an em- empty void in the hearts and in the communities in which these people come from. And young people don't look at it like that. They're so used to just seeing it all the time that they're like, oh, man, you know, you know, heard such and such died. Yeah, man, that's messed up. And then they just go back to regular life. They just keep on going. At what point in time do we begin to embrace them and teach them um, the real consequences of gun violence? You know, one time I was looking, um, I was looking at this rap video um, and it got me thinking, like, one thing that people from a lot of poor neighborhoods kind of want is that power, you know, because in life we're told like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. We're sort of the powerless in mm-hmm. society. And we seek opportunities where we can be sort of powerful in our own way. And I think that watching these guys on these videos, you know, holding the gun, brandishing the guns, pointing at the camera, that gives them that sense of power, power, that sense mm-hmm. of, um, you know, immortality that we sort of look for in our, our everyday lives. Like we're trying to be, Again, we're dealing with com- communities where you're you're lack resources, you lack influence, you lack political power. You're gonna try to find that power in some some other way, and having that gun provides that control. They're able to control their own life for for once, and so I think that is something that we need to have a discussion about and examine. Like you don't need to have a gun to to be in control or to have power or to have that influence. They have influence in other ways by seeking education, you know, seeking uh, the creation, creating a business, or, or starting something as your own. You know, those are way more powerful and, and way more um, – it, it can create actual legitimate mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. That, a, that holding a gun or shooting somebody can't. Right. And I thought about that. I was just um, – sort of brought that back to my, to my mind, like the, the influence that one seeks to have in life. Yeah. You know, my, my, my uh, little cousin um, just went off to uh, school, uh, graduated from Cass Tech. And um, we were hanging out a little bit this past uh, summer before he went off. And he gave me a song by Nas called I Gave You Power. Mm. Um, brilliant and song. Brilliant song. Brilliant mm. song. Yep. And when I first listened to that song, he, he had played it in the car. And um, he, I guess Nas is speaking from the voice of the gun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. And uh, maybe you can explain it a little more. But it's, it's, it's just a powerful song. It speaks to what you are, yeah. you know, what you were talking about. Yeah, the, the way it goes is it works on so many levels. He's speaking from the perspective of a gun. He says, 
yeah, you know, my owner, he used me a lot, and then he just threw me to the side, and someone else grabbed me up. People throw me around like I'm a gun. He starts off talking about himself, mm. and then he shifts the perspective to an actual gun. He takes mm. people's lives. It's a job. He's a living, breathing hitman. It's his, wow. it's his only purpose in life, to take a life. And when the police come out, he's thrown on the ground. Somebody else picks him up, and he's used again. And I think he's touching on something. It's so easy to dispose and pick up something with so much power, mm-hmm. but, to tr- but to treat it towards someone else as if their life is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Nas was speaking on yeah, different levels with that song. Yeah, it, it, that's something I would encourage. Uh, it's a song I would encourage uh, you know, anyone to listen to in their spare time. Nas, I, I gave you power. Yeah. Um, but it, it, <laughs> when, you're, when you're living maybe in survival mode and you're living in poverty and you don't really have much, you look for power in things, yeah. you know, um, power may be vanished in having a nice pair of Jordans on, right. um, you know, how sweet I look, you know, if, if I'm fresh to death, then, you know, that may give me some power in the hood. You know, if I got a nice car, you know, um, that gives me a little power in the hood because I'm now looked at and respected mm-hmm. as that guy, you know, or that person. And, 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 when you really get out, that's why I said exposure is so important because when you really get out the hood and you really get a chance to see real life and see real rich people, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you, you people who have money and, and influence and power and access to it, you know, yeah. you begin to go back and realize, like, uh, right. you ain't really got much, you, you know. Much, yeah. And so, you know, we, we – It depends. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to use the age-old statement. You get it how you live. It depends on where you are to what power means to you. Mm. If you're a housewife in the suburbs, power might be being head of the neighborhood watch committee. If you're a salesman, power might be one day owning your own dealership or your own salesman firm. Power is, it depends on where you live. It's true. What's power in your community? That's why I agree with you. It does have to do with exposure and reaching out to see what Mm. power means to other people. Yeah, I mean, because we also we all live for for to be, we live for for the purpose of um, sort of having a a purpose in life. Like you, you want to you want to live because you want people to sort of recognize your achievements, you know, right. whatever that may be. And you know, some people look for those achievements or they look for that recognition in, in negative ways. And that's just something that, again, it, it goes with mindset shifting. Um, just having the, the realization that even though, regardless of the situation that you grew up in. Or wherever you grow up, wherever you live, you can, if you use your if you use your influence in, in, in a in a positive way, you can you can definitely rise above uh, that situation. But I mean, gun control is one of those things where it's embedded within our culture, not only in the black community but in the United States in general. Um, and it's about our relationship too. And I always talk about we need to have classes based off um, our relationship, like I said, relationship with social media. We need to have classes about relationship with, with violence, relationship with guns. Um, because, again, guns in theory, yes, you can have them. I think that we all have the right to do it. But it needs to be for a purpose beyond just um, just having it. Like, what's the point of having a semi-automatic weapon if you're not doing anything with it, any good with it? This does require education. It does require change of legis- legislation. Mm-hmm. Most of all, it requires conversation. Yeah. I know we. I know neither of us forget the event that happened in in Michigan. I think it was was it in Livonia where the basketball court 
um, someone someone rang off shots at a at a basketball Best court. There were kids there. I, mm-hmm. I don't know where it was in Detroit or if it was close to Detroit, but we we don't we haven't forgotten that incident. Yeah. I haven't forgot it. But with time, people just move on to different things. Yeah. Oh, you seen the new Q line? Oh, you've been <laughs> downtown recently. Uh, all this, all this, but. I don't think we should get these moments because they, they not only t- tie in the legislation in Michigan, but tie in the legislation in the U.S. as a whole. Mm. But my, my thing is, like, how it's sort of like with the drug, drug epidemic. How is this stuff getting into the community? Like, obviously, with drugs, we didn't have access to cocaine. You know, so who's put, who's putting that in there? Even with guns, like who are providing these guns to the community, you know, for these kids to use to kill each other? Um, and that's one thing we need to address. Like, where is this source? How is it getting there? And how can we stop that? And those are things that um, our uh, legislators and and um, our people who are elected uh, can work on. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they should be doing. That's where they should be putting their resources and and allowing us in the community uh, to have more programs where. Mm-hmm. We can educate those um, on gun violence and things of that sort. Um, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, I just really hope that um, we are doing a better job in our school system in some kind of way of really working with young people and teaching them about gun violence and mm-hmm. and what it what it brings, what the consequences of it, uh, the repercussions of gun violence, because. Um, that's the biggest group that needs to needs to hear it. So, in your mind, how would that look? How would a program based off of that look? Well, I mean, various programs are programs where you um, you know kids are being taken you know on trips to the jail system mm. to see um, um, you know prisoners who are in prison for life, yeah. um, so they can actually feel and touch and see what that's like on a regular basis. Um, there's there's a lot of things that we can do, you know, with the right resources to really help um, uh, educate uh, kids on uh, and our young adults on on guns and gun violence. You know, no one is saying again, no one is saying that you shouldn't be able to bear arms. You know, it's it's a it's a, a part of our constitution, but um, I think that there should be, you know, more safety checks on people who buy guns. I mean, I don't yeah. think that's if you're good, if you're good, you're good. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Like, if I need to go um, <laughs> to get on a plane, you got to go to TSA. They do your, your background check. You need all that stuff. Why not do the same for, for, for weapons? And I think that's – it's not it's not asking too much. It's not. It's very sensible. And it may save somebody's life. Yes. Yeah. That's what it's about. Um, and I think ultimately we, let's continue to have this discussion and further our you know conversation around this. Um, I mean, I guess before – we end. Do you all have any follow up or any like last words or statements that you believe are important to this this conversation about gun control? All I know is if I can wind up on a watch list because I have sinuses <laughs> and I want to buy an extra thing of Sudafed, <laughs> right? But you can mail order thousands of rounds of ammunition over the internet, right? Yeah, without yeah. a hey, who are you? Right. It's not good. Might have our priorities wrong. It's not good at all. It's not good. That's very true. I could end with that. I I could totally concur with that. It's just an ongoing conversation. That's really what it is. That's my final thoughts on the situation. 
Yeah, and I think, um, like you said, stated before, I think, you know, what we view, television, media, video games, do have influence. I think also parents in education also will be able to deter a lot of young people, hopefully in the future, from um, you know, gun violence and violence in general. And just realizing that we do have the right to bear arms, but let's do it in a responsible way. Uh, let's be smart about it. And <laughs> it's no need to have uh, weapons that you can use in wartime just as a personal, you know, just for your personal life. Um, you know, with that being said, it was a great episode, guys. Uh, let's continue to have these discussions and we'll see you all next week. All right. Take care. Bucka, 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 bucka. Ha-ha. You know the devil? This is me, dog. Beast by 